Hello and welcome to the DeFi Jabs podcast, where we unpack the key fundamentals of crypto from the top names in the industry. Hi there, thanks for joining us. I really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks, Sam, for having me on, on your show. No problem at all. Would you give us a little bit about you, a bit about your background and um, how you got into, into crypto in this sort of space? Definitely. I used to be a crypto miner in uh, 2016. Okay, that's when you know I started exploring and learning more about this space. We set up a small mining operation in India, okay, in one of the only power surplus states, okay, in northern India, where it's cool throughout. Uh, ran it for a while. After that, you know, we just couldn't, uh, you know, uh, keep, uh, you know, drawing more energy from the power grids. And that's when, you know, we were asked to shut down and move on. Uh, however, since we started mining cryptocurrencies back then, uh, it also got me interested in learning, you know, what is it that you could do with your tokens. Uh, the first thing that we uh, thought of uh, going ahead with is investing. Uh, in 2017, I started investing in startups. Uh, this was, uh, you know, mostly like ICO uh, boom that ensued. Right. Uh, subsequently, you know, based on the knowledge of which startups uh, were successful and which ones weren't, I co-founded Woodstock. Okay, Woodstock is a early stage uh, venture investing firm. Uh, after Woodstock, you know, that's when you know I happened to meet and uh, Ravindra and I thought that you know uh, let's uh, gravitate, okay, towards uh, building Frontier. Now, what Frontier does. Okay, is uh, what Frontier does is a DeFi aggregator app. Okay, so we've been running Frontier for the last uh, year and a half. And uh, along with Frontier, we also started investing in several other uh, projects that were a strategic fit for Frontier. So we made some 50 odd investments. And uh, then, you know, it became too much for us to manage. Okay, so that's where, uh, you know, we have now formed a Web3 investment vehicle called Bison Fund. Uh, Bison invests in uh, seed and pre-seed rounds of several Web3 projects, uh, particularly in the DeFi, NFT, and the distributed ledger uh, space. Okay, so that's what we're aiming for at uh, Frontier. I'm sorry, at Bison. And at Bison, you know, we've, uh, the journey's just started. You know, we've made a handful of investments. Okay. Um, Bison is also going to be a Canadian registered and regulated entity. Fantastic. Well, I wanted to come on to, uh, to regulation at some stage. Um, but, but first, do you mind if I sort of rewind a bit and, and, and dig into the, into the mining? Pardon the pun. Um, uh, and, absolutely. And, and, sure. and speak to you a little bit about how that experience was and whether obviously that was an, an early stage uh, in the early stages of, of, of crypto mining but fast forward to today would you ever suggest for people to get into crypto mining or do you think it's maybe a thing of the past for people who really want to get involved do you think there are other ways now so crypto mining certainly is uh, still very profitable okay so uh, that certainly is but what is more profitable than crypto mining is to you know invest in uh, you know uh, projects directly because that's where you know you can get a much higher rate of return uh, plus you know you're not saddled with uh, maintaining and operating you know all that infrastructure now i remember when we had started off you know it literally took us uh, more than 2 months okay just to get all the infrastructure the hardware 
and uh, everything else set up wow. and uh, back then you know in india you know people didn't even know what cryptocurrencies okay so it was a very very unusual space and you know what we were mentioning is that we're running a data center however like uh, you know i'm currently based in calgary canada and you know i know of several mining operations uh, in canada that are uh, you know absolutely thriving and flourishing especially after you know china decided to crack down on the miners due to the sure. uh, energy crisis uh, that's looming large right now yeah and on on that on that point of the energy crisis what would you say your position is in terms of mining and maybe even cryptocurrencies in general soaking up a lot of power um, do you think that we as a community should bear that in mind the our, our carbon footprint or do you think that this technology needs to be pursued anyway uh yes you know we must be cognizant of our impact on the environment for sure okay that's not something that we can uh, continue to ignore uh however the esg concerns okay uh, that were brought up by Elon Musk and then uh, raked up by you know a much larger environmentalist lobby globally okay are completely unfounded okay some of the largest tech giants without taking their names are yeah. not at all green okay however you know when you look at their impact okay as an industry okay they are uh, definitely not green but let's say if there were alternatives okay uh, in place okay what would it be like okay so think about it for a moment okay you have google maps okay what if there was no google maps people would be circling around different blocks okay trying to find landmarks and find directions there all that time vehicles um, you know people would spend time in their vehicles uh, circling around blocks okay as well as you know looking for the directions wasting time doesn't that really have an esg impact so yes you know the esg impact is uh, definitely something that needs to be factored in nonetheless uh, we are seeing a global shift towards renewable energy okay uh, both india and china are making giant strides now in this so the energy of the future is going to be renewable it's going to be green it's going to be clean it's going to be non polluting hence okay if you currently have to relocate your mining operations okay before you find a more sustainable long term source of energy uh, in my opinion that's perfectly okay do you think blockchain will play a part in future renewable energy do you think blockchain can have a positive social impact or esg impact in the long run yes definitely i think blockchain can definitely have a very very strong impact uh particularly uh, when it comes to like say blockchain startups in the renewable energy space we've seen several of them however we haven't uh, seen any practical use cases or we've not seen a clear winner okay in terms right. of say a blockchain you know that manages uh, uh electric transmission networks okay or um, you know or anything of that sort so i think you know the blockchain uh, as a platform is still in its very very early evolutionary stages okay so uh, it's going to be a while before we see some innovation in that segment do you think that will be sort of demand led growth yeah so i think you know more than the uh, demand side like what will really drive up demand is the need for transparency okay which is currently not there okay so with the uh, decentralization you know brings in transparency okay and brings in an element of uh, not having uh, you know like the network not being able to be shut down 
Now we all know about the uh, Facebook and uh, Instagram outrage that occurred uh, maybe a few weeks back. Yeah. Now, in case you know, Facebook was uh, decentralized. Okay, no single individual or an entity, okay, would ever uh, be in a position to shut them down. Right. Okay. Uh, even be it accidentally. So even if you look at like uh, say, um, you know, ETH upgrades that happen, they happen in a phased wise manner. Okay, yep. so you do see a little bit of uh, uh, delay in the transactions being processed, but ultimately the network still stays uh, uh, up and stable. Moving away from sort of ESG and more to you know what you do maybe day to day with uh, with well with what you did do at Frontier and and now at Bison. Can I assume that you know you are on the lookout for startups w- wherever in the technology sector? Is that right? Uh, yes, definitely. So currently, you know, uh, we're looking at uh, startups that have, uh, you know, uh, proven, uh, that have a strong, solid team that has a proven track record. Uh, right now, you know, startups are in the need of, uh, you know, strong technical talent. So ideally, we look for a CTO that's in such a position. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, while we are, uh, you know, Web3 focused, uh, you know, we definitely like to focus on a few areas that, uh, you know, we have uh, comfort and confidence in. Okay, that's essentially, you know, DeFi, NFT uh, space. Uh, we're looking very, very closely in the gaming side of things as well. However, we haven't made any investments so far. Right. Is that sort of with, with protocols that are looking at the, the play to earn model of gaming? Yes, yes, we have looked at it. Okay, but we still do. Uh, we still have our reservations. Right. And we're constantly, you know, learning, okay, in terms of what we could do to overcome those uh, uh, blockers that are currently there. Are there any red flags that you look out for, for startups? Is there anything you see? Uh, you know what? That's not happening. Yeah, so, you know, we see some startups that are raising capital for a, a elongated period of time. So some of them were raising capital in April when we passed on to them and uh, they were still raising capital as recent as last month. So normally, let's say, you know, in case there is a strong product market fit, okay, you shouldn't be raising capital that long. Um, you know, we also have a bias for startups that don't look at capital raising as a very, very, uh, as a very, very strategic task. Uh, simply because, you know, the uh, core goal of a startup is to develop its uh, product offering, okay, make sure that there is a product market fit, okay, launch an MVP, even if it's in a limited way and get that up and running. Okay, now that's something, okay, that we are looking for. However, some startups are, you know, so uh, kicked about the valuation side of things, okay, that they want to raise large sums of money at uh, valuations that are not sustainable. So that means a couple of things. One is, okay, the founders don't have a clear plan in terms of where the capital could potentially be deployed. Uh, secondly, okay, uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes you know, excess capital itself can be you know, quite bad. Uh, we see startups that raise you know, rounds together. Okay, so they'll probably raise a seed round and a private round okay, at almost the same time. What we would like to see is that, let's say, you know, in the seed round, you raise something like you got 800,000 to a million. Okay. Uh, then, you know, you take a breather, okay, and start working on your product for about five to six months. You demonstrate the traction it's built. 
Okay, and then you go for another private round raise. Okay, this is not something that we have seen very often. And when you do something like this, we know that, okay, you know, uh, six months back, you raised, say, 800,000. You deployed, this is what you had to show for it. Okay, and now you're raising another round that will get you from, say, uh, this point, okay, to say maybe, you know, 3x or 5x in terms of user base. Sure. So that's our preferred way of investing. I've, I've done a little bit of research on you and um, on your LinkedIn page. It said that some of your specialities were to do with uh, the marketing and sales starts of things. Um, is there anything that you think that startups should be specifically focused, focused on from a marketing perspective? And okay. in, in, in more depth, what, what, what sets apart successful marketing to those who fail? Uh, I think, yeah, you know, like uh, creating awareness is an absolute number one. Right. Uh, so many times we see, you know, phenomenal products, but they don't have, uh, you know, the user traction. Sure. Okay. When something like that happens, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's definitely a marketing issue that needs to be fixed right away. Uh, when it comes to marketing, you know, you need to have very good uh, quality, uh, I mean, very well-drafted documentation. Okay, so let's say, you know, if you look at uh, Covenant or if you look at uh, Frontier, yeah. okay, we've taken a lot of time and effort to make sure that our documentation is self-explanatory. Yeah. Okay, it explains, uh, you know, all the things which are there. Okay, uh, everything that a user can do, everything that a user can't do. Okay, it sets the expectations right. Okay, and this has massive impact on... Uh, everything else okay so say you know for example we also use a ticketing system uh, and what it does is uh, whenever we get a query okay we make sure that our uh, engineering and marketing team okay works towards uh, finding a solution uh, for it okay so marketing you know encompasses you know several angles to it yeah. uh, not just in terms of documentation but in terms of getting the word out making sure the user queries are addressed on an ongoing basis and when something like this happens for say a long period of time that's when you see that uh, your users are truly thrilled and delighted to experiment with every new feature that you launch right when something like that happens you know they're more than happy to you know retweet spread the word around okay and then you don't need to rely much on marketing so marketing is not just about getting a great product but also creating great content creating communities and fostering interaction amongst those listening to your community members as well as uh, you know enhancing your uh, documentation uh, you know almost like every couple of weeks you know let's say in case there is something okay you just go ahead and uh, update it right there and there so many times you know we've seen projects you know not have clear uh, approach okay in terms of what users can expect how they can engage and interact with the platform and that's where you know uh, there is a huge user dropout where they feel oh this is too technically challenging or we don't really get this i wanted to pick up on one thing you said at the end of your introduction which was regulation and it seems to be a very hot topic at the moment um, with a lot of debate surrounding it uh yeah definitely so uh so you know like regulation is uh, something which you know a lot of countries still haven't figured out you know how they want to go about it Right. So, you know, you see a huge disparity in the, I mean, you see a huge knowledge gap between the regulators and the crypto community at large. Okay. The gap is, you know, on one side, you know, you, you have like bureaucrats 
Okay, that probably are struggling with, uh, you know, even Web2 technology, forget about Web3. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the other side, you know, you have this crypto community that is, you know, traveling all around the world, trying to find the most attractive jurisdiction, okay, where they can operate uh, seamlessly and freely. So whenever, like, um, you know, there has been some talk about India banning crypto, you know, China has virtually clamped down mm. on everything that there is. Uh, such countries will continue to see a mass uh, exodus of, uh, you know, very, very smart, talented people. Okay, they'll relocate elsewhere just because, you know, the government did not have a facilitative framework, okay, for enabling their ideas and innovations. Okay, so that's where, uh, that's where we are seeing, you know, a lot of people wanting to move to US or Canada which government jurisdictions do you really think are leading by example and, and getting it right at the moment? Yeah, so uh, uh, here, you know, in Canada, where I'm based, you know, when uh, my wife and I decided to move here, one of the key reasons why we thought of moving to Canada, okay, is uh, because, you know, Canada has a very large, sophisticated and institutional framework, okay, that allows you to, you know, not only raise capital, but deploy it, Okay, as well as, you know, uh, get traded as well. Canada was perhaps the first country, okay, to enable, uh, to allow for like crypto ETFs. Uh, right now, you know, we see at least uh, 10 crypto ETFs, that's more than anywhere else in the world, okay, uh, operating and trading on uh, the Toronto Stock Exchange. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Canada is one such country which is very, very forward looking. Uh, another advantage is that it also is in close proximity to the US. Okay, so a lot of cross-border trade and transactions and business happens. Okay, um, that also allows your startup to get that much needed visibility. Right. There are jurisdictions which are uh, perhaps better than Canada. Okay, such as say Malta, you know, Cyprus, Estonia, Singapore. Okay, nonetheless, okay, these are like very, very small uh, countries, right. okay, and uh, they have like several other other uh, non-regulatory challenges, such as you know like uh, hiring people locally. Yeah. English may not be the first language uh, that's spoken there. Okay, so I think you know there are pros and cons everywhere, and one must seek uh, you know the right guidance before uh, deciding you know where should one move. Well, that's it for now. Um, I really hope to speak to you again sometime soon because you're very interesting and you have a lot to say about a lot, which is fantastic. So thank you so much for your time and I really appreciate it. I hope you had fun. Uh, thanks once again, Sam, for having me on your show and I'm looking forward to the podcast.